I've watched every episode of a show before going in for the interview. And almost to a T, the ones I do that, I don't get the job. It's almost like a bad omen. You put too much into it. The ones where you're a little looser, just watch a couple episodes, yeah. watch a few, get to know it. Yeah, those tend to go better for me. If I, if I sit down and watch 50 episodes or 20 episodes, I, it, it's, you're investing too much. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. Do I have a mentor for you? David Gray, executive producer of the hit show, Madam Secretary. I was familiar with it and I, I knew sort of the tone and I've seen a couple episodes. But in preparation for this interview, I actually watched more episodes and now I'm hooked and I'm full on. If you ask me what I'm binging, I'm binging this. So the show is fantastic. It's such a great diversion from, you know, to watch sort of fictional political reality. But we talk so much about his journey, which I find really interesting because the first few years, although he was writing, he wasn't writing for TV. Talk about how he took his play from New York that he wrote and took it to L.A., and we talk about how that sort of led to his next thing. And he worked as a story editor and a writer on Joan of Arcadia and how he went from job to job after that and how lucky he was and who his mentors are. We also, I got a lot of questions from people who asked on social media, on, on Facebook and my Instagram. And I asked questions that you guys sent in. So thank you guys so much for that, which includes like how difficult was it to cast all these different ethnicities and all these different languages for Madam Secretary? What's been challenging about COVID for him? And then how do you trust an actor maybe for a project with little to no credits? And, you know, we talk about the writing experience. What's it like to be in the writer's room of a television show? What's it like to lead a writer's room for a television show? And without further ado, welcome. David Gray. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining the podcast. My pleasure to be here, Michelle. Wonderful. So I always like to start with the question, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? My first role in the entertainment industry was being an incredibly frustrated outsider who couldn't get an agent, couldn't get anyone to read me, and feeling like a failure, and... And that went on for years, <laughs> um, for almost four years. From when I moved out here and, you know, a few more years than that, um, from trying to write my failed screenwriting career. But the first job I got, the first paying job was on, it was a, a cable show that only shot like seven episodes and mine was the eighth. Uh, so mine never got shot, but it was a show on a network called PAX and cannot come up with the name of it. <laughs> it's a long time ago, but, but it was a paying gig and it was, yeah. uh, it was someone, the, the showrunner was a great guy, the guy who created the show and he'd seen a play that I'd written um, and he came up to me after the play and he said, if I'm ever in a position to, um, to hire you, I will. And then years later he did. Wow. So that was really nice of him. But then... My first real job was uh, as a staff writer on Joan of Arcadia. So cool. So how did you go from one to the other? Because obviously there's some years before. In the most traditional way, the most basic way, uh, which is I wrote spec scripts. I wrote back then, I wrote my two favorite shows. This was around 2000, 2001, 2002. I got the job in 2003. Uh, but I wrote uh, Sopranos and... A West Wing. Those were my two favorite shows, probably of all time. And then I, let's see, how did it, you know, I, my play had gotten me a little bit of attention. Yeah, tell me so, about that. Yeah, so it was a play I'd written called Moose Mating in New York. And that was, I guess, you could trace that to me getting my first job. So, so now this is starting to feel disjointed, but so okay. I, I, I'd been in New York for years. I didn't move out to LA until I was 32. 
And I wrote this play called Moose Mating, which I produced. And um, it actually had a nice little uh, run off, off Broadway at a theater called Here down in sort of the village slash Soho, a little bit on the west side on Spring Street and I think Sixth Avenue. Anyway, and, uh, and then when I moved out here, that was in 1997. But when I moved to L.A. in the fall of 99, I decided to, that I could do something that not everyone who moves out here aspiring to be a writer can do, which is I could put on my play that I wrote. So it's sort of like a version of throwing a cocktail party and introducing yourself to the town, but in the form of a play that right. I had written. And, um, and so I directed it. I had it directed in a New York production, and I produced it with a couple friends of mine. And I, I, it, it, I ended up investing in it. I put, it was probably like $25,000 or $30,000. Uh, I did an equity waiver production, which means that the actors you know, waive their fees and so all the money just went into renting the theater yeah. and promoting it and I guess costumes and 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 and, uh, and production design and it was a it, it it was a nice production we did it at the Century City Playhouse I'm not sure that they still do theater there on Pico in West LA sort of near Fox and it went great I had amazing actors and one of the actors in it uh, who was fantastic Jerry Levine his wife is Nina Tassler, was and still is Nina Tassler, who was a terrific and uh, important executive, television executive at CBS. She ran mm -hmm. drama development. She went on to become the president of entertainment, the chairman of entertainment for the network. But at the time, she was the very powerful head of drama development. And she helped Jerry with his lines. And Jerry one day said to me, uh, during the break, you know, my wife is, is uh, interested. Uh, she, she thinks you're a pretty good writer. Wow. That was a compliment. I had no idea whose wife was. And she ended up introducing me to an agent who I signed with, a pretty good agent. At, Which at agency? agency. Well, was it, it, it was Endeavor, was Endeavor. Uh, which is now William Morris Endeavor, but at the time it was Endeavor. That agent actually left Endeavor. I won't mention his name, but he left Endeavor and, and dispatched of me because I hadn't gotten a job yet, but it sort of helped put me on the map. And uh, I'd gotten a manager along the way who was a, a really good guy, a really good manager. And he helped me get another agent. So I was all set out a manager and wow. agent. And from being introduced to, once you get an agent, what they do is they send out your scripts to executives at uh, all the networks and studios and production companies. And if they like what they read, then they meet with you. And if they think you're a, a decent, normal person who's not going to, not a weirdo, they put you on a list of people who are approved to be hired. So then when there was an opening for a job in the middle of the first season of Joan of Arcadia, I guess my agents had also sent my play out because the executive at CBS remembered uh, he had he had read my play and I had met him and so when Barbara Hall who was created and was running Madam Secretary told him that she was she had had some success with this writer named Joy Gregory who's actually a good friend of mine um, and we've worked together since on, on um, another show uh, besides Joan of Arcadia but she was a playwright um, and was kind of funny and wrote with a rhythm. And Barbara said, wow, I really like her, that young writer. Do you have someone like her you could recommend? And Glenn wow. thought of me. I'm not sure he even sent Barbara any other writers. I mean, if he did, maybe one other. Yeah. Uh, so it was really, um, it, so it was lucky and I broke in, but it was years in the making. Right. It wasn't an overnight yeah. success, if you will. Right, um, right initial meeting for Joan of Arcadia? How was that first meeting? Was it Barbara Hall? Was she the one who yeah. interviewed you for that? Yes, absolutely. So how was that? That was great. You know, I, I remember it well. It's, uh, it, it definitely had the feeling of, of being meant to be. It was, you know, I, I'd been on, uh, I'd had a couple meetings with showrunners before that, and I, that right. jobs I did not get. Yeah. And, uh, and so this obviously was the first one I did get. You know, and the ones that, I mean, you really, when you get that show on a meeting, it, they're, they're, especially when you've never got one, so, or when, when yeah. you're just starting out, they're so few and far between, and you, you want to get over that finish line, you want to get that job. And so, but with Barbara, it was very natural. She, um, 
you know, she and I hit it off. I mean, we ended up becoming great friends and it's not surprising based on that meeting. I mean, we, it was one of those things where we had like friend chemistry, you know, like yeah. we just talked very easily. She set me at ease right away. I mean, because it could be nerve wracking, you know, um, she just told me how much she loved my play and my writing. And, and it was, so, so it was, it felt more like a conversation than an interview. Um, you know, Bar and Barbara is, um, she's the, the, my, my, you know, my best friend in the business, my, my mentor. I was going to say, um, I was going to ask. Yeah. If I, uh, you know, she would say, oh no, we're great colleagues and work great together. And, and, uh, and she's very generous in that way. But, you know, she gave me my first break. I mean, she's, um, the best thing that ever happened to me uh, in terms of this this business, yes. both professionally and personally. So that was a, a very lucky meeting for me. And I like to think, given that I went on to become her number two um, and an executive producer on Madam Secretary years later, it was good it for worked her. Out. Yeah, <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, it worked out well. Yeah. In all the meetings that you had, trying to be a writer on a show with showrunners, you obviously have probably interviewed writers now in your position on the other side of it. So what did you learn to like, you know, in all those meetings with, with showrunners that you obviously didn't get that helped you with Barbara? And then what do you also recommend for people who are in writers meetings and trying to get those coveted first writer positions? Yeah, well, you definitely want to set people at ease. I mean, I'll start with the part, just what did I learn? I mean, yeah, and most people are, you know, who you meet. It's really not about being nervous. I mean, I, what's interesting to me is like, yes, you want to, the big thing about the interview is that, especially if you're doing a show with a writer's room, actually Joan of Arcadia did not have a writer's room, but it was a very small staff. It was only five writers oh. total that first season. So when they hired me, I, I had replaced someone, but I was the fifth and bar, including Barbara, just five of us. Wow. And, and so you spend a lot of time together and you, you just don't, you want to avoid assholes, basically. Um, and, you know, a lot of people talk about that on set, so, you know, yeah. no asshole rule. And I certainly um, agree with that. You know, in this business, I guess there could be people who are snakes. You know, there could be people who are going to do anything they can, step on someone else to get ahead. So you want to try to avoid them, whether it's working for them or... Uh, which when you're just starting out, you'll work for anybody, obviously. But but as you move along in your career and you have and you feel like you have a little bit of choice, you want to avoid that. But in hiring people, you, you want to hire good people. But you know, by far the most important thing is you want to hire people who are good writers and good at breaking story. That but but in terms of advice for people who are interviewing, I, it's probably not much different than interviewing for any job. It's um, you know be yourself be thoughtful, really listen, and really just try to answer whatever the question is to the best of your ability. Be decent, be, be enthusiastic. You know, people, it's, you know, the cliche, um, uh, you know, um, kindness will get you everywhere or what, you know, like, like um, your compliment, you know, like. Yeah, flattery is. Something. Flattery will get you everywhere, yeah. exactly. Like, like something like that. But, but basically, people don't want to hire people to work on their show who don't love their show. So okay. you really want to be enthusiastic about the show because there are plenty of writers out there, <laughs> you know, who would be. And, and you don't want someone who's cynical, who's going to bring you down in the room. So yeah, so I, I think that's really, you should, you should have a, a level of enthusiasm, but hopefully it's genuine. You know, yeah. I've, gone in, I've gone into interviews. Uh, there was one show in particular, I won't, I won't name the show, but I really did not like the show. But I was interviewing for it. It was early in my career, and I really wanted a job. And it, even on a show I didn't like. And the people that, that ran the show, they were really nice people. So that, oops, I'm sorry, my phone's ringing. It's fine. <laughs> that, that counts for a lot. And uh, I was, you know, answering questions about that show. Uh, I, I was having a good interview. I was meeting with, like, the whole team. And then toward the end, the showrunner said to me, wait, well, you haven't, I haven't asked you what you think of the show. And I said, oh, I, I, it's great. It's great. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. I, I totally did the high voice. Yeah. And 
I did not get that job. <laughs> I think they absolutely could see. And they love their show and they should love their right. lousy show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, and of course, it, it's really hard to yeah. even make a lousy show. So of course they loved it and worked hard on it and they were very talented. And, but I just, it just, I just didn't like it. And, and that shows. So the, I think the biggest piece of advice is if you could be genuinely enthusiastic and, and be respectful, if you're cutting off, if you're in the interview, if you're cutting off the person interviewing you, that might be a bad, yeah. <laughs> that person may, may interpret that as a bad sign. Yeah. You'll be someone who won't That's listen fair. in the room. Yeah. 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 Sorry. So um, that made me think of a question too. When do you become an expert on the show? Because obviously prior to getting the job, you might not have watched every episode, but at some point, if you are a writer on a show, you'd want to think of yourself as an expert because you have to draw on so many maybe moments of the show's past, especially, I mean, in this case, it was season one. But if you're joining, right. for example, later we're going to talk about Gilmore Girls, at what mm-hmm. point do you become an expert on the show so that you can refer back to other moments or you can just have a, a very strong history of a show? Right. So off, he, 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 Joan for Katie was... was first um, season. Was, it was the middle of the first season, so there had yeah. only been 10 episodes, yeah. I think, shot before I got there. And that was, that was back when you can't just go online and, you know, yeah. watch it on Netflix or whatever, you know. But, yeah, Gilmore Girls, it was impossible because I, I started season seven. And there were six seasons, so like 130 episodes or something, 135, 36, 40, yeah. whatever, and uh, already. And I couldn't possibly watch them all. But usually, often when you're hired, it's in between seasons. And that was the case on Gilmore Girls. So you could catch up a little bit. So I watched... I think with Gilmore Girls, I watched the first episode of every season, one in the middle, and one at the end. Because I just wanted to have a sense of where it was going. But I never watched them all. But on Without a Trace, that I worked on season four, I did watch all three seasons. I I don't know that it was totally necessary, but I had the time. And it was, I, I got the job over hiatus. So I had plenty of time. Yeah, time. Um, Did you feel like that helped you in writing for Without a Trace that you had that history or do you think that affected your writing at all or no? You know, I've found that, I mean, I guess it depends who you are. With yeah. me, I don't think it helps. I mean, it was fine. I, I was sure it helped, but I don't think it's necessary. And you know, the shows where I've watched every episode of a show before going in for the interview and Almost to a T, the ones I do that, I don't get the job. It's almost like a bad omen. Interesting. It's like a Kanahara. (laughs) You put too much into it. I don't know if that's the technical definition of a Kanahara. I would have had a check with my grandmother. but I get (laughs) it. Yeah, but but basically, the ones where you're a little looser, just watch a couple episodes, watch a few, get to know it. Get the tone. Yeah, those tend to go better for me. If If I sit down and watch 50 episodes or 20 episodes, I, it, it's it, you're investing too much. I don't know. Maybe yeah. they can tell you. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So Joan of Arcadia happened. Tell me a little bit about that. And then we'll go to how do you got the next one? Well, that was a great experience. I mean, that was, that might be my wife's favorite show I ever worked on. Wow. <laughs> um, it was a great, it was a special show, really smart and interesting and, and beautiful with a good message, beautiful message about, about life and the interconnectedness uh, of everyone which is, it was a show about religion, but it didn't come down on any one religion. It was, it was more about that, how, just how we're all connected, which we are. I think the, um, it's what the pandemic shows us. You know, one person in, yeah. in China, in Wuhan, gets sick. And now, you know, every single one of us has been touched by it. And, and it's the same thing with actions. And that's what Joan of Arcadia was about that one person bumps into someone on the street in Wuhan yeah. or tells a joke and makes someone laugh. And through the people they interact with, eventually that gets back to now. And what we're talking about and the way I'm reacting is different because of all those connections that made their way, that rippled their way around the world to get to me and you and us here having this conversation. And that's what Jonah Arcadia was about. It's, people call it the butterfly effect. Um, someone called it the butterfly effect years back. Um, but a butterfly flaps its also wings in movie. China. Yeah, yeah. A butterfly flaps its wings in China, and it affects weather patterns in the West weeks or months later. But but, but maybe you're asking about the experience, and, and it was a it actually was a great experience. Uh, Barbara is the best writer 
I've ever worked for. So that's always a bonus when you have a boss who's actually the best writer um, on a staff, which is not always the case. And Steve Nathan was her number two, who is absolutely not only he was a great guy and also a great writer. So they were both mentors to me. So it was a very lucky first job. The other writers were Joy Gregory and Tom Garrigus, who are just wonderful writers and terrific people. So it, they were all grown ups. And, and I, I say that because not everyone's a grown up on every show, <laughs> uh, but all just wonderful people and terrific writers. And, and they all took me under their wing as a newbie, a junior writer. And so it, was a, it really was a great experience. I was very proud of it, really proud of the episodes I wrote. And it was incredibly disappointing when it got canceled. Yeah. But it was, it was lucky as a first job. And it got me, for, I was staff writer that first season. And then they promoted me, even though I'd only done half of the first season, to story editor for the second season, which is a big deal. It's almost as hard to get from staff writer to story editor as it is to get your first staff writing job. You know, to get to wow. that next level is a big deal. A lot yeah. of people get stuck at staff writer, especially if the show gets canceled. Then right. you hire staff writer just... again and again. Yeah. So that was very lucky. And then I went to uh, Without a Trace. I was exec story editor. So I just kept climbing the ladder. And, and that great. was, um, yeah, it was very good for my career. So just one more question about this. In terms of a staff writer, what was your, what were your like roles? Like what was your role exactly? What were your responsibilities as a staff writer? Yeah. You know, as a staff writer, really anyone on staff, who isn't the showrunner or the number two has kind of the same responsibility, which is, yeah. which is on Jennifer Kitty, there was no room. So it was come up with an idea for an episode, um, come up with lots of ideas for episodes for an A story. And then also come up with some B story ideas and then pitch them to uh, the way it worked on Jones, pitch it to the Barbara, Barbara. and Steve. Uh, yeah. And then they, you know, it's a good thing I had a lot of ideas because it was the last one that they really liked. And it was really one of my B stories, but that was able to be made into a larger story, um, really the A story. And then to, to outline it. And on Joan, you know, if you needed help, instead of having a writer's room, you could just walk across the office, you know, to the hallway to another writer and say, hey, can you help me? I'm having trouble breaking the story. And then working with Barbara and Steve and getting through to getting a script done. And then you know, helping produce it, going through pre-production prep and shot and edited. And, you know, so it's it's just getting up. How do you move up that ladder then if all of the jobs are relatively similar? Well, well, it's... Was it just um, there? No, yeah, as you move up and as you get more experience, especially on shows with rooms, and most shows have rooms, um, writers' rooms, you, you then are just expected to contribute more in the room. As you get to be producer level, you can get to be more of a leader in the room. So if there are no EPs or co-EPs in the room, you could be charged with running the room. You know, when I was a producer, God, producer, well, maybe I was supervising producer, whatever it was, but at, at Castle, I think when I was a supervising producer, I already was running the room, uh, one of the rooms, we had two rooms going. Um, and then just naturally just sort of, I sort of ended up doing it and then just kept doing it for a few years there before going on to work with Barbara, Madam Secretary. But so you just, you know, I think you make yourself more valuable as you get more experience. It's not yeah. really the, the title. I mean, I think by the time you're a co-EP, to me, I think what people view that title as is you really should be able to do everything that an EP does. As a co-EP, you should be able to run the room. You, you should be able to do anything. You do, go take care of casting, rewrite a script. I mean, not everyone looks to be able to do it, but you, sh- you, you really should be able to do every turning drafts that are just about ready to, to go, maybe a few notes, but not you know, anything major. I mean, everyone should be able to go and represent the, the, show, the writers on, staff, on, on set. Not everyone's great in editing, but you should be decent at it by the time you're a co-EP. But as you move up, you just get a little better and everything and eventually you should be able to you know run things great perfect thanks for the clarification <laughs> i didn't know i mean i you know I'm what? starting to learn about the hierarchy in the writer's room so i wanted to right ask. it's yeah it's not so um clear-cut you know it's really the hierarchy is whoever has the most to offer there are staff writers who are much more interested in what they have to say than co-EPs or consulting producers, you know, or who might have more to say, who might be yeah. more helpful. The titles are more just 
how you get paid. And maybe you're bringing something to the table somewhere in the process that maybe isn't so much the writer's room, but you're great at something else, or I don't know, or you just somehow got a job that you didn't yeah. deserve. Or, 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 you know, I mean, it, it's not always so clear cut or a meritocracy. Yeah. And I don't mean to sound cynical. It's, no, it's a great no, business. And, no, and it's not been, at all. It's been great for me, but it really, it's not, yeah, it's not like the military where it's clear cut each step yeah. as you get promoted and then you, you know, you all, you're, you're in charge of a platoon and then a entire, whatever you call the next thing up and then, and then a, yeah. an army and then a CENTCOM, you know, it's not as clear cut as you get promotions in TV writing. It's whoever could contribute. I, I think it. showrunners tend to identify with so, no matter what they're yeah, like. Yeah. yeah, no, that's interesting. Okay, so how did you get, what, what was the process like to get without a trace after Joan of Arcadia was done? Yeah, so basically, yeah, I got it in my head, and I, I think not unwisely that at that time, um, procedurals, and they pretty much still are pretty big uh, in the business, but I thought that I should get a job in a procedural, having done a show that was not a procedural, just for my career. I thought it would be a good career move. Yeah, and I well thought done. without it, yeah, I thought without a trace was the best procedural because uh, it had the most character. I, I can't, you know, it's funny. Like it looked like it had a lot of character. It turns out it didn't have as much character <laughs> as I thought it did. I think a lot of it had to do with the actors were so great. Yeah, uh, Anthony Lapalia in particular that it sort of tricked me into thinking, wow, that's a show with all the great characters. Um, which is not 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 to speak ill of the show. It just yeah. was more straight procedural that's set out to be and it did a great job um at, and delivered i think it was number the number two scripted show on television at the yeah. time wow. or scripted or drama but it was a, a gigantic hit yeah and i was very lucky to i said i wanted a job on it and i actually got a job on it so i was very lucky and a lot of that was on the strength of coming off of Under arcadia that that was such a good credit joan had been emmy nominated um the first season. And so uh, on the strength of that, I was lucky enough to get a job. And, and I, when I went in and auditioned uh, with Hank Steinberg, I was genuinely flattering the show. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I was genuinely enthusiastic about the show and I got lucky and he hired me. And so, yeah, and that was a much different experience. It, it, it turned out it was um, all, it, it was almost all plot driven all um, right. sort of the intricacies of, of the idea of the show is figure out who the missing person is, figure out where they are, which may not be true in life. Not right. everyone has a secret life and some people just disappear, you know, and there's no good reason. Yes. However, for a TV show, that would be interesting. So this was an absolutely great concept for a show. Yeah. And it was all about just, tracing, you know, just step by step, you know, why someone went missing and, and talking to people and flashing back. And, and so it was, I think it was a good, really good experience for me, but not, and, and I feel like I did good work there, but it, it wasn't the greatest fit. And I, 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 Barbara asked me to write a pilot with her while I was there, which didn't go over too well. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and so I was, I was let go after the first season there. But it was, it was a really good experience. It was my first room show. And seeing how that was done, I, I think I learned to help a lot. I think if I hadn't done that, I might not have done as well on Castle. Interesting. Maybe. Well, how many people Which were Which was a big or... job. That was a big job for me. Yeah. How many people it, were without, a trace? without a trace? That was a big writing staff. It was like 11 people. But we were, I, I think we often would break into two rooms. So maybe it was like, four or five at any given time. And that show had a really um, a really strong hierarchy that worked really well for it. Like right. Hank was the showrunner, but then he had four co-EPs who were all really good at breaking stories for that show. And one of them was almost always in each room. It was very well run. So for, for that or for writer's rooms in general, how much of it are you writing on your own and how much of it are you writing with other people? essentially, like a script or... Right, you break a story. When you're in a writer's room, you, know, you break a story with the group and, and it's the, the showrunner and the, the person whose episode it is, whether they're a staff writer or co-EP or EP, you know, is usually up at the board. Like, 
write it like mapping it out you know writing on the right on, on the board and uh, breaking the story and and so it's a group effort and then yeah. you know ultimately before it comes off the board the showrunner and maybe the showrunner number two you know will vet um the whole thing and each scene and and make sure to their liking before the writer then goes off and writes the uh, executes the outline which is based on what was on the board oh, there yes. not that it has to be you know exactly that yeah. to make it work but yeah, yeah. and then you, you they get notes from the 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 um showrunner uh, and then they from the network and the studio and then write the script and it's the same process all over again and ultimately depending on who wrote the script you know then showrunner or the number two or the somebody will take a pass or something they assign will punch it up or not depending on who wrote it and how good it is great so. okay and then next up is gilmore girls right so how did that come about uh, yes, that was my next job. That came about like so much in this business. I mentioned before, it's relationships. My best friend down here, who's also a writer, Keith, had written on Gilmore Girls the year before I was there. And he mentioned me to the showroom. He recommended me because, you know, I had come off of Without a Trace and, uh, and I was looking for another job. And I met the showrunner. He read my, uh, my West Wing script, which was a good sample wow. for Gilmore Girls. Yeah. yeah, just because of the How rat tat tat of, yeah. the, of the dial, exactly. And yeah. um, that's so and true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Also, they both have like obscure references to things that people might not always get right away. Like I feel like both sure. Gilmore Girls and West Wing both sure. have very smart, very kind of odd references to things that people might not automatically know what they're referring to. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's also just that writing with a rhythm, that, right. that blah, 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 rapida, 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 you know, kind of rhythm back and yeah. forth. Yeah, yeah. Now, and you said you got hired between season six and season seven for Gilmore Girls or season six? That's right, right. right. So that I, I was, I just wrote on the final season, season seven. So I never, Amy Sherman Palladino. They left the, right before, right? The genius who created the show. Yeah, she was gone. So I never, I've never even met her. I worked for the, the guy who took over running the show for season seven. Yeah. And how was that uh, final season? I was writing for that. Um, I, thought it was, I thought it was a good season. You know, yeah. it was an interesting experience for me. Um, very in room intensive show. It's a comedy. I don't know that it was run exactly. I've never worked on a comedy. In fact, I was the only writer in that writer's room who'd never worked on a comedy. It was mostly comedy writers. There were some drama writers who'd also written on com half-hour comedies. Obviously, Gilmore Girls is an hour, but it's an hour comedy. And so it was sort of hybrid-y. I mean, it was broken like yeah. an hour drama, right. but with the intense kind of paying attention to pitching jokes in the room like, like yeah. you wouldn't in an hour drama. So it was just very room intensive and very loud because it's comedy writers uh, and very hard to get a word in because it's comedy writers. Uh, but that was, a, that was a, a tough experience, but yeah. a really good experience. That was an example of the, the showrunner and I, I guess didn't see eye to eye uh, on the execution of scripts. Um, so, so it wasn't, it was tough to, to get yeah. rewritten in the yeah. way I was on that one. But, you know, that's all Experience. part of the course that's going to yeah. happen. And that's his prerogative. He can As do whatever he wants. You know, I've been in a position, you know, I was in, later in my career on, on Madam Secretary where I was rewriting a lot of people and I'm sure they weren't happy with what I was, weren't always happy with what I was doing, but it's the prerogative of the showrunner. And it's also, ultimately, if you're the showrunner or you're the, my kids with, with Madam Secretary, the number two, but for all intents and purposes, you know, Barbara's counting on me to, you know, to, to deliver jobs yeah. that she doesn't have to do much, if anything, to of, of everybody's script. And uh, so you have to do what you think is best. Yeah. Uh, so, but it, it was, it was, uh, yeah. So anyway, it was a, it was a very intense year on Gilmore Girls, but definitely formative. And, you know, a, a good, yeah, you could have a good experience, I guess, even if it's not a great experience. I, I completely get you know that. What I mean? Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> yeah. And how big was that Raiders room? That was a sort of an average size. I think it was like, I want to say it was seven or eight of us. Great. So I'd say that's sort of 
big but not huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we just did one episode at a time, so that was a lot of people mm. in the room. You know, and as you get into the season, not everyone's in there because someone's off writing an outline or writing a script or on set for their episode. Mm. But even still, there were still plenty of us in the room. And then Castle, right? Castle's Castle, yeah. Yeah, how was that? That was great. That was yeah. a real breakthrough for me. And a lot of things fell into place. I really um, came into my own, uh, yeah. I think, as a TV writer and producer. Not, not to say that, like, you know, on Joan of Arcadia, I was just figuring it out. And, and you know, just goes to show, I, I, got, I got hired on that show off of my Sopranos spec. Wow. And I mentioned that only, only because, like, you know, it sort of, everything I did, and you know, my play helped me get a job. West, my right. West Wing helped me get a job. My, like, so you really yeah. have to, just in terms of getting back to giving people advice, like yeah. the material needs to be strong, you know? Did you um, revise those spec scripts before they went out again? Because, I mean, your, your West Wing helped you get Gilmore Girls, yeah. you know, your Sopranos yeah. helped you get, I mean, those must have been really, really good if... It wasn't just on the caliber of your experience, but uh, essentially, I mean, because they could have taken some writing or piece of writing that you had done on Gilmore Girls or Without a Trace or Joan of Arcadia, but... And it's possible that... They also that might be... They looked at those too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but still... I mean, that, is, that is something that you do. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the thing about spec scripts is you have all the, all the time in the world to write a spec script, right? So on a TV show, you might have a week, if you're lucky, to write a draft. You know, sometimes you have four days. If you're really lucky, you have a week and a half or two weeks, but that's almost unheard of. But your spec script, you could spend six months on, which, which I, I think I did, you know, each one of those. So you have no yeah. excuse for it not being perfect. Yeah. Not perfect, but to be, you, if you have clunker lines in it, that's a very bad, that would be a bad sign. You really have to Yeah, get it but conversely, yeah. I, read it, I read something that, I think it was an interview that you, that deadlines are so important to a writer, right? So the idea of like having a deadline, knowing you have to do it and just putting that work out there as opposed to like a spec script where you don't have maybe the same sort of deadline. So does that change true. the writing at all? Or, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, writing with a gun to your head is definitely helpful, yeah. <laughs> um, a metaphoric gun. But at the same time, I think that when you're writing a spec script, that instead you may, you may not have a deadline, but you have the, the desperation. The incentive. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, my God, I have to. So that gets you to do it, you yeah. know. Um, but, but yeah, deadlines, certainly, you know, I had, a, um, when I taught creative writing at Gotham, right, um, back in 19 Probably where I saw it, yeah. Oh, well, no, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it might be, yeah, I, I mean, maybe I was mentioning this, but one of the, one of my students was a journalist, and, and he, uh, he, in the first class, we went around the room, and uh, yeah, everyone introduced themselves, and talked about what they do, and why they're there, and he said, I'm a journalist, which I've been for 40 years. And in that time, I've never missed a deadline for an article, but I've never finished a short story that I've started on my own just for myself. Uh, so he was there for the deadlines. And yes. so, yeah, deadlines. It's it, a good it, story. It, it fo deadlines focus the mind. There's no yeah. question. Yeah. I mean, I think people, and we've talked about this before, I think at the panel we did, but mm -hmm. you know, the idea of a deadline, it's just, it's allowing you to just create the work without having to have that filter of being like, you know, this isn't good, procrastinate, or, you know, I, I have to revise this, you know, and then you never finish it. And I right. think half the trouble is finishing it sometimes. Absolutely. And you don't have a choice with, when you're a television writer. Yeah. You guys, you guys have to be fast. I mean, how, how quick is usually... Like, do you have to have an episode in and done before you start yeah. prep? So, I mean, basically the rhythm is once you get up and running uh, at the beginning of a season, every eight business days, you have to have a right. new script done and ready to shoot. Every eight business days. So it's, it's like a factory. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and, you know, you tr what I try to do, or I guess many people try to do is you front load as much of the work so you don't get caught right. stuck at the end. And a lot, I mean, a lot of shows end up being late on there and they, and they cut into their prep time. But I think that's a pretty lousy thing to do because yeah. then you, you compromise the other departments who don't get a full, they don't get to do their job. 
It's true. You know, whether it's wardrobe or locations or, you know, sometimes they could prep off of outlines, but that stinks. Uh, yeah. You, know, you really want to give every department its fair Right. Shot, no, I've know, heard, I, I've had casting directors telling me that like, you know, their showrunner called and they have like, you know, 24 hours or less to find a last minute character that had not existed the day before. Right. And it right. Comes, you know, right. it happens. Yeah, you want to get you want to yeah. give your casting director time to look yeah. through, I mean everything cuz it makes a difference if you don't yeah. have the, the time you're not going to do as good a job. Yeah. How often here's the question cuz I've been cut prior to filming so i've been booked and then cut on two different shows before it was even filmed so how often do you right. guys cut a whole scene from something you guys have written yeah that that happens all the time. yeah so sorry about that but it's not um, yeah it's fine it's part of the development process you know what yeah. happened what could happen is you publish a script and by publish i mean just get it out you get to it, yeah. the network the studio yeah. departments and so when it goes to casting, they break it down and they start auditioning, auditioning people, people and you can even, yeah. And so then you also are getting notes from the, the writers are getting notes from the studio and network and the studio might say, you know, we really want you to, we love this story, but we want more. We feel like there needs to be another scene or could you do more with that? They ask for more things or could you, this, we don't understand what's happening here. Could you explain it more? Maybe, and scenes get cut because often because other material needs to be added. Yeah. So, because when you, and, and it's funny because, you, you know, like often as writers, like, you, you know, you, and we always have to explain that to the studio. Well, you know, if, if it's fine, we could do that, but we're gonna have to lose something else, yeah. you know? Uh, and so it might be that, that a scene is cut or a character is cut just because we don't have the time to do it and it's not yeah. essential to the story, but we need to add this other thing because yeah. the network studio wanted it or we figured out that, oh yeah, that really, we really do want to do more with this, you know? So, yeah. you know, or, or maybe it just, maybe, it, I guess it's also possible people say, wow, that really isn't working. It didn't work, yeah. That story. But I think more often than not, it's because you're, you're adding yeah. something else and something has to give. Interesting. Thanks. Great. It's so not personal. Oh, sure no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent. It wasn't me. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, well, the whole scene was cut. It had, couldn't have been just me. <laughs> um, okay. So we're on castle. Anything else about castle before we move on to Madam Secretary? Anything about the experience? You know, it was, it was a great, I mean, that was just where I really grew into. Yeah. Um, yeah. I went in there uh, as a, producer level, mid-level, not enormously experienced. You know, I, I'd been a, a year and a half on, a season and a half on Jonah Arcadia and then a season on, um, without, a trace. on a, without a Trace and a season on, on Gilmore Girls. And, um, and, then, and, I, and then I did six years, on yeah. six seasons That'll on Castle. It. And that really, I really sort of, it, and it was, it's not just that I got, you know, title bumps it was that the experience yeah. of day in and day out breaking all those stories all those episodes writing all those producing all those it really you know it was my um it was like my grad school for um for you know because it was my, uh, yeah it was a it was a it was a great experience in every way i mean i learned how i prefer to do things i worked with people who I admired. I worked with people who, at, at points like where I did much. it, but yeah. but I sort of were. It sort of like was a formative experience and and um, and a learning experience in every way. So also learning how to be on set. Rob Bowman, our executive producer, who is our um, producing director, was very generous in the um, in post production. As was Andrew Marlowe, the, the creator of the show, and so I got a lot of experience just working at cutting and. I got really good at editing, which helped me a lot, you know, yeah. going into to Madam Secretary. I mean, just everything, just every step of the way. And we had our, uh, our writer's room was on the sa same studio lot as our, uh, as our sound stages. So you could just walk, you know, two minutes to get to set. And so it was just everything. And our post-production was right there as well. Uh, all on that nice. a tiny little studio, Raleigh Studios yeah. uh, in Hollywood. So it was just a, a great experience all around. And after six seasons, I, I did two, three-year contracts. You know, I decided it was time to go. Yeah. Um, and it was a very, 
amicable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I put in a lot of time there. And, uh, and then I moved on to Madam Secretary, which was- So did you leave already stuff. knowing that Madam Secretary was there or did you leave and then no. have a break and then that came? I left, it turns out I didn't have a break. Uh, I left because I, I just, six seasons was enough. And, yeah. and, and after doing six seasons, I, Castle's a really good show. I, I was, I had supreme confidence uh, that I wasn't worried about getting another job. Yeah. Uh, I was probably the most marketable I've ever been. And so I left without knowing what I was okay. doing next. But I was planning on going to my next job. I was not planning yeah. on taking a break. And as it turned out, um, I even for the first time in my career turned down a couple jobs, which felt good to be picky. And thank, and fortunately, I did because then Barbara, it turns out, you know, wanted to hire me as her number two for Madam Secretary, which was just a perfect dream, yeah. amazing job to get to work with her again. Felt, it felt right just because I started my career with her and then I hope I didn't end my career there. Uh, but, uh, but, um, but, you know, going from being the, the junior writer, uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to kid it to being number two on Madam Secretary was, it felt right. And it was, and that was a nice bump for me because even though I got to be pretty senior on Castle, I was not the number two. I was not involved right. in every episode. So right. that was a real uh, bump for me professionally. And even though I had the title of executive producer my last year of Castle, it was in name Didn't only. Didn't feel that? Yeah, because I, I still was doing the same job, running the writer's room, but not, you know, in the inner sanctum. Um, Andrew had, Andrew's number two was David Amon. At Madam Secretary, it was nice to be like, you know, in the, truly in the inner sanctum. Yeah. And Barbara and I, uh, and she was very generous, but she really made me feel like we were, um, running things together, yeah. even of course she was the showrunner, and yeah, so that was yeah. And yeah, I'm trying to think. I I have a couple questions about Madam Secretary, but I'm also be, trying to be observant of time. So I guess I'll just sum it up with asking about that. How is it different? I mean, I know you said that obviously, you know, Barbara's the showrunner, so she has that, but you're also you know running things there. So how does it? How is approaching this you know show different than all the other shows? Like as your role as you know executive producer. On Madam Secretary. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I, I was really um, a boss on Madam Secretary. You know, yeah. Barbara and I ran things when Barbara and I, when Barbara wasn't there, I was fully in charge. And yeah, you know, in terms of organizing and to always have this schedule in my head, making sure we stayed on track to getting, you know, always sort of like think, you know, you're always doing the math, like we're on day two of this break. Right. If we want to get the script done by this point, we want it, and I want to get a draft into it's before it's it before prep. Then we need to get it off the board by this time, so there's this much time to do the outline. You know, you're always sort of yeah. like working it out. So very cognizant of that, and just and doing everything, being in the writers' room, but also noting every single story arena and outline script and rewriting scripts and and what was what is your biggest strength as an executive producer like what do you think is like i'm that's i mean i'm good at a lot of things but that's something i'm really good at i want to say i'm just so good at everything but no um yeah no that's a good question i I, you know i mean i really want to say I hope my greatest strength is as a writer yeah. is on the page, but also um, knowing if a story works like yeah. in the writer's room, like coming up, like we, I, I mean, cause a so lot of that's shows, instinctive. Yeah. So many shows, a script comes off the board. I'm sorry. A story comes off the board and then they end up rebreaking it at script level. I mean, we almost we never did that. On yeah. Secretary. Um, you know, once it came off the board, it was pretty much there. I mean, yeah. we might make, some tweaks here and there. So I think I'm pretty good at knowing if a story works. Yeah, um, that's a good I one. mean, I think my greatest strength maybe is just that I'm good at, good at, you sort of have to be good enough or good at everything to, to keep everything moving. That's fair, yeah. Um, so, you know, really strong on the writer's side in the writer's room and, uh, and, and keeping the script factory up and running and, and getting the most out of the script and man, managing the writers, I think. Anyway. That's also a good one. Yeah, no, there's, yeah. I, there's a lot of responsibilities that come with that role. So I was just curious. Cool. So I have a couple more questions, if that's okay. Sure. So I asked some people I know for their questions too, because I figured I wanted to share this sort of mentorship with other people. <laughs> so one was from Samantha Valentine. How do you trust an actor that may have little to no credits? 
how do you, I mean, maybe they'll have a smaller role on the show. Maybe not. Maybe they'll have a bigger role on the show because they're right for the role. But how do you, how do you, you know, see sort of a tape that your casting director sends you? Or are you aware of the credits? Or are you mostly relying on the judgment of the casting director? In this case, it was Mark Sachs for, it's great, for, uh, mm-hmm. for Madam Secretary. How does that process go with, with casting? You know, there, there's really um, not much mystery or magic to it. It's almost always just what you see on, on casting. You know, it's usually yeah. with Mark, just because production was in New York. So we had, I was never in a casting session. Yeah, ever. I was going to ask you, you that. Know? Yeah. Our, our, our um, co-EP and an EP, yeah. EP, our producing director, um, Eric Stoltz, was, uh, was in the room a lot. But ultimately, Barbara and I were, would always just watch on cast it. And, right. you know, we like to give roles to people who do the best job. And, and we like to give roles to people who come in. You know, like if, so, if it comes down to an offer-only person or someone who came in and we think they're equal, mm-hmm. we'll yeah. give it to the person who came in. But what you're talking about is probably smaller parts, like a yeah. one or two line yeah. or under five line. Yeah. You know, um, and it's just if someone does a good job. I mean, that's really it. Are they the best actor? If it's five lines or less, I, I don't care. If they don't, I, I'd be happy to give someone their first job. Yeah. You know, and you, you might just look, you know, I might feel a little more comfortable with that person if they're out of a graduate acting program, like at NYU or an undergraduate or, you know, it doesn't have to be a super fancy one. It doesn't have to yeah. be Yale, but just if they're trained, you know. Um, but you can just see it. Like if someone delivers... And even, you know, we look at even like the, the one line parts, the one word parts and, and people, you can tell if someone is good, you know, or you could get a sense of who well, that person was best. You know, we don't take an enormous amount of time to look at a one line part or two right. line part, but you, you don't want to get someone who's terrible. And so you just take a look, oh, that person's good. And not, say nine times out of 10, we're not even looking at a resume. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, yeah. We're looking at the tape, especially if Mark sent them to us. Right. The, I, I am trusting that if Mark, I have to, that if Mark sent them to us, like, like I'm not asking for every single actor we cast, oh, is that a, a decent person? Is that person, I mean, I'm assuming, yeah. I know that part of what the casting director says is that he's saying, oh no, this person will be fine on set if I'm yes. sending them to you. You know, they'll, they're not going to be an asshole. They're not going to be a jerk to yeah. you know, your star or whatever. So it's, there's no, it's really just whoever the best person is. Even for, you know, there are no small parts, only small actors. I mean, even for someone with one line, people could pop. And, yeah. and they do. Yeah. On film. Wonderful. I have another one from Eric Elizaga. He actually, so he, he's asking specifically because he was on Madam Secretary. He was um, one ah. of like, like a Thai prison guard. So he was saying how difficult is it to cast okay. all the different ethnicities that you guys have to. So he, he's not Thai, but he had to speak Thai for the audition and then for the part. And so it's like, how does that work for you guys when you have to cast so many different ethnicities for the show? Yeah, I, I think it's a big challenge for, for Mark Sachs. <laughs> you know, sometimes, I mean, he literally, and God bless him, uh, he's, he's so great. It's, it's challenging, especially when you need someone to speak a language. You, know, you right. can't give someone, what was that guy's name again? Eric Elizaga. Eric, okay. So you, we couldn't give Eric, um, I'm sure, it, it, what a trooper for, doing tie, but I'm sure yeah. it was like a line or two, you know? Yeah. Like it was, I think only he could have done, right. He could have done like a guest star role yeah, with only speaking 50 lines or yeah. 10 lines, 20 lines. No, no way. Yeah. It yeah. just wouldn't be possible, you know, and because we were a show where we would, we, we played it real. So if someone would be speaking another language, we'd have them speaking yeah. you know, that language. Um, and because it was Madam Secretary, but the Secretary of State, uh, that was unavoidable, and it, right, it, it of was part of the richness of the show. But yeah, yeah, no, was, I think it was a challenge. But given that we were casting out of New York, but it was it was tough. I mean, I give yeah. him an enormous amount of credit for getting it done. Yeah, but I, I personally, I don't think Barbara ever worried about it because yeah. you could always find. But I mean, come on, in New York City, yeah, I mean, the, 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 it, was, it are, was a good place to cast. We are a melting pot. 
Yeah, yeah. And so I yeah. guess then what's next? Do you have anything on the horizon? So I have a, um, a show, a pilot uh, that I worked on. It was uh, based on an idea of a producer that then I developed and I brought in another writer. So me and this other writer are creating it, or um, I should say this other writer and I. And, um, and so, and that's for, and we pitched it and we pitched it during the pandemic, which was interesting. So it did it just like this on, on Zoom. And, uh, but we sold it to Netflix and hopefully that'll be coming to everybody's TV sets at home. It's, but it, right now it's- It's, it's so uh, early. It's a script deal. So yeah. it's not, we don't know that it'll actually getting on the air or getting on the web or getting on digital or whatever you call that. Yeah. <laughs> getting something on Netflix. Something uh, streaming. Something to do yeah, with streaming. It, yeah, hopefully it will be streaming into um, everybody's home. Great. That's exciting. Congrats on that. Yeah. I mean, not everyone was able to- pitch successfully a pilot during covid so we'll see I, I think it is more i think everything about the business is more challenging now and i imagine i feel for people who are trying to break into the business now because it's got to be tough yeah um it's uh I, yeah. I mean writing staffs are up and running i mean things are happening um but it's um i i, I imagine it's it's harder yeah. yeah. David, do you have any interest in directing? Because I know you started obviously directing the film that you produced and wrote and play. Um, do you have any, you know, desire to direct again? Uh, I think the standard answer for everybody in this business is yes. Although not everybody. I mean, yeah. I would just because I really enjoyed directing theater, actually. Um, that was something I loved. And again, directing theater off, off Broadway, um, not nothing major. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. And of course, it, directing TV or film is different. But I think there are a lot of similarities, too. Yeah. Um, just having a vision for putting something stage or on film. Uh, obviously, TV and film are much more technical. I'm sure I have an interest, but I, I think it would only be if I had my own show on the air and I felt comfortable enough if it was established to then, you know, start directing some episodes. I don't, uh, it's not something I aspire to do on someone else's show or okay. try to do it. I mean, listen, you never know if something comes along. A movie yeah. Along that, that I wrote, you never, I mean, I guess the situation could arise, but it's hard enough. It's hard work being a television writer. And, and also, you know, there are people who are really good directors. And so it would take a lot of work for me to really figure that out. I don't, I don't think anyone could just pick it up. Just like not anyone could just pick up writing or acting. I mean, there's yeah. really, there's a lot of training. I, I think True, I mean, but people then, do it. But, but do it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people cross over and you know, sure, why not? Sure. Yeah. sure why not? If this is, if, I mean, if, unless if, you really uh, yeah. didn't want to, then I'd be like, yeah, but I think mostly my aspirations have to do with writing. you know, where I am now in my career is getting my own show on the air, you know? Yeah. And the, the person that sort of, um, besides my wife, uh, who, who says to me over and over, oh, you really need to get your own show on the air now, is right. Barbara Hall, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, that really would be the next step for me. Even though, I, you know, being her number two amount of secretary uh, was about as satisfying a job yeah. as I could imagine having, but... And if that were it, if I never did go on to, uh, to create my own thing, that would be fine, too. I mean, I'd like to, but I certainly don't feel like the business owes me anything. Yeah. You, know, um, it, you know, it would have to be, you know, but it certainly would be nice. It would be fun. Great. That was so fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I appreciate you going a little longer than I said you would. So this is great. My pleasure, Michelle. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for listening to that. And as always, I like to read a review that I got online. This is from Margarita Fay, entitled A Must. Michelle's podcast is just what I needed to feel re-energized and inspired in my journey in this crazy industry. Hearing from incredible people who have paved their own way, I feel empowered to take bold action and will definitely be using the insight from these mentors as a guide. Michelle knows just the right questions to ask and covers all the most vital topics. Thank you for this, Michelle. You're a true gem. 
Thanks so much, Margarita. That's one of my favorite reviews that I've ever read. I personally love the fact that you've just been re-energized and inspired because that really is my goal, not just not just in creating this podcast for other people. Like I, I definitely feel like I want to inspire that in others, but also for myself to just feel re-energized and inspired in my journey. So I really appreciate that. And if you guys haven't yet, if you're listening and you enjoyed this episode, please, if you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts, it really, really helps. And if you can send this to someone you love, that also would be lovely. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend you know would love it. Let me know what you learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram, at Mentors on the Mic. I will be sharing even more information about our mentors there. These are crazy times, and now more than ever, it's so important to connect. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. Every week I'm choosing a review to read on an episode. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. Thanks.